Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Hey, so a bit of early homework. What I want you to do is to think of your favourite person. Uh, Maybe they were, and you can't say like your spouse, we already know that, okay? Um, (laughs) They might be a mentor, someone that you admired, someone that you looked up to, someone that had a big impact in your life give you a little bit to think about it because here's what I want to do I, w- I want to try and uh, I want to try and try a trick and I, I want to guess some of the traits of this person in your mind you up for that we'll try and see how well this works but I'm, I'm kind of guessing that they're the sort of person that the smaller they tried to become the larger their life was that they were the sort of person where they were more consumed with other people than they were consumed with themselves. Maybe it wasn't so much what they said that you remember them by, but what they did. It wasn't so much what they had, but what they gave. How am I going? Is any anyone... A, Did I I hit the mark for anyone? Great. Wow, you're enthusiastic this morning. (laughs) Good. Put a hand up in church. It's okay. We'll only count that in the numbers of conversions. It's fine. (laughs) Right? And and so I'm kind of guessing that, um, that that type of person in your life didn't live like this. Instead, they lived like this. And we'll we'll talk about that this morning. That's what we're going to talk about. It'll make sense in a minute, this versus this. Uh, But what we have been talking about for the past couple of weeks is how to safeguard your soul. And the reason why we want to safeguard our soul is a healthy soul has a level of sameness wherever you are. Uh, You are the same in front of a keyboard as you are in person. You are the same in church as you are in work. You are the same at home as you are out with friends. And what uh, we have been explaining is that we've all recognized that there is a gap. There is a gap between uh, the real me, who I really am on the inside, and then there's a gap between that and the me that I want people to see. And uh, the question I've been asking you for two to three weeks is, when you recognize that gap, and we all know that we've got that gap, and sometimes it's healthy to have that gap, uh, are you going to try and manage the gap or close the gap? Because you'll find that managing the gap gets very exhausting, and what we saw last week, or last time I preached, because I wasn't here last week, uh, what we saw two weeks ago is that, is that even um, the most um, guarded heart can't stop uh, the most unguarded behavior. So we're really not that good at managing <laughs> Our hearts leak. And so are you going to manage or close the gap? And having a healthy soul is uh, the sort of thing that is built and developed through the habits that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. They were in week one, to surrender your will, to recognize that following God and surrendering to God doesn't need to be sorrowful or dirgy. But in fact, it can be an adventure. Lord, what are you up to today and how can I be a part of it? That's what it means to surrender your will. And then we saw from last week that the most, even the most guarded heart can't stop the most unguarded behavior. So watch your heart, monitor your heart for greed and anger and jealousy. And so this morning we're going to talk about living open-handedly as a third habit. 
live open-handed. That's what this means, by the way. Okay, this is closed-handed. This is open-handed. You with me? Yeah, okay, cool, thank you. Uh, live open-handed. The reason we live open-handed, first of all, what we've got to recognise is, is that our, our key problem is that our affirmation bucket leaks. Have you ever found that in your life? that our affirmation buckets leak. And you see that from kids all the time. It happens from the earliest of age. If you've got grandkids, you've got kids, you've got nephews or nieces, you know, they'll say like, daddy or uncle or grandpa or grandma, uh, come and watch this. And you're like, I did three minutes ago. <coughs> uh, they want more. There's, there's never enough. We always need more. Now, the grown-ups do this. I call this the voice principle. Um, the grown-ups do this. One of the most remarkable stories out of the voice, and I'm such a voicey, at the moment, it's great fun, family viewing. But what I find amazing in The Voice is that there was a particular season uh, where Abby Dobson, who was a lead singer for an Australian band called Leonardo's Bride, uh, they were an aria-winning band, an artist. She decides to go on The Voice. And you can imagine, she goes on The Voice and not one of the chairs turn around. And an article in the Sydney Morning Herald uh, said later that she said she felt winded for a week after the audition. And uh, it had me thinking, why in the world would a musician that's already won an ARIA award go on a show to get judges to turn their chair around and say, you can sing? It's absolutely crazy. Because over time, we are accustomed to, we feel entitled to, we become dependent upon affirmation. And that's why we create the gap. We create the me that we want people to see because we want affirmation. And the bucket's constantly leaking. Now, you and I are often not quite aware of this. Some of you are thinking, that's not my issue. Well, I don't, I'm not seeking affirmation. Well, you, you don't think it's your issue until you feel it. You don't think it's your issue until suddenly you don't get the invitation to that birthday party with all the rest of the friends. You don't think it's an issue until you see all of your workmates go into that senior meeting with the boss and you don't get the, I didn't get the invite. You don't feel that until you see the friend next to you get promoted over you. We, we don't think it's an issue for us until we start to see these things slip away and then the worst part of all that happens is that we start to get clingy. We start to, we start to hold on suddenly we feel like these things are slipping away from us and we start to get clingy. And a Klingon is not just a Star Trek character. Klingons are people who possess an unhealthy soul that are continually trying to hold on to the things that brought them affirmation in the first place. And so you've all had clingy people in your lives, right? Yeah, you just don't want to admit it. Or you can't say it out loud. Um, <laughs> And here's my question for you, class. With, when it comes to clingy people in your life, would you describe their life as big or small? Because here's the thing that I've discovered is that what we cling to diminishes and ultimately clinging d diminishes us. And if you haven't discovered that already, you will. But what we cling to ultimately d diminishes and what... And, and clinging then ultimately diminishes us. And so the person that you admired probably had already worked out this principle. 
And they've probably worked out this principle that we're going to talk about this morning from the Scriptures. Some of you are saying, is this guy going to get to the Bible or what? Yes, it's coming. Here we go. We're going to get to the Bible. Uh, but there is a profound statement that has, um, has really hit me out of John's Gospel. Just a one-liner. This is great this morning. It's like a, a one-point sermon. It's fantastic. Um, there is a statement here that, a profound statement that's liberating, a profound statement that will safeguard your soul. There is a statement here that if you get this, uh, will allow you to live open-handed and relaxed and fearless. Now, to get some context around this, we go back to Mark's Gospel, and it says that, uh, and then John the Baptist, cousin of Jesus, appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Now, that kind of sounds like an exaggeration. I can't imagine by the River Jordan that uh, the entire town is there and there's tumbleweed through the middle of Jerusalem. It's just saying there's a lot of people that were there. And if, if there was just um, 10% uh, of Jerusalem there, would, there would be tens of thousands of people by the river. So in other words, John the Baptist, or JTB, as I like to call him, he was a big deal. He was a big deal uh, in Jerusalem. Everyone was there. He was, he was the hottest thing in town. Everyone was going out to see John the Baptist. And then things take a really interesting twist in the story. And this is where it intersects with um, John's life and with our life. Um, this is where you start to see the Klingons appear in the Bible. Um, John chapter 1, the next day, Verse 35, John was there again with two of his disciples, John's disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, there's the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples, in brackets, John the Baptist's disciples, heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So it's like the first biblical example of church sheep stealing in the Bible, right? Which is, we're not about that in the church, but it's biblical, you know, they were following John the Baptist and now they follow Jesus. So something is starting to happen here. They unfollowed John. They started attending that other church. They started hanging out with those other friends. They started um, chatting with that other guy. And this bothered the JTB fan base. They didn't like this. And so they could feel the attention starting to slip away and they start to cling. And so they came to his defense. Don't worry, John, the other guy just tells confusing stories. It won't catch on. And then it gets worse. <coughs> John chapter 3, verse 26 to 27. They came to John and said, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one that you testified, look, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him. So in other words, they're saying, hang on, baptism, like you, you, tr you trademarked that. That was your gig. This is intellectual property infringement. This is like, that's your thing. That's our thing. And they're starting to cling and cling and cling and cling. And here's the main point. John doesn't fall for it. John doesn't fall victim to what you and I can fall victim to. John can feel the tension, but he doesn't fall victim to it. And this is where he comes up with one of the most profound statements that I've read in John's Gospel. And so he looks at them, he says, thank you for all of that advice. Yes, I'm aware that I've lost a few disciples to him, and now he's baptizing him. But he says, a person can only receive what is given from heaven. Write that down. A person can receive only what is given from heaven. Yeah. This is not an easy to, way to live. It's not intuitive. It's what I call the dead cat principle. 
And if you're a long-term Northsider, you know this. This is part of our membership course of understanding um, some of these varying principles. But it'll go like this, especially if you're a guest. And that's why I love the fact that we're a church that always has guests because basically I get to retell my favorite stories when I preach all the time. So the rest of the Northsiders, thou art excused. But the dead cat principle, you might be wondering, uh, two worms fall from the sky. One falls into a crack in the cement. The other worm falls into a dead cat. Five days later, the worm in the crack of the cement, malnourished, weak, on the verge of death, turns to the worm in the dead cat and says, please, sir, will you tell me the secret of your success? To which the worm over here in the dead cat says, hmm, hard work and a sound strategic vision. (laughs) Welcome to the dead cat. (laughs) Welcome to the lower north shore of Sydney. The dead cat principle is, how did you make it here? How did you choose to be born where you were born? Who gave you the IQ that you have? Who presented the opportunities that were in front of you? Who gave you the opportunity to be here if you moved here on top of everyone else that's back in the homeland? Who gave you the family that you've been given? Who gave you the support and the friends around you that you've been given? We've fallen into a dead cat, comparatively compared to the rest of the world. And so a person can only receive Receive only that which is given them from heaven. All of this, all of this is a total act of God's grace in your life. And if you live life according to the dead cat principle, here's the wonderful thing in all of this. There's no fear. Well, there should be no fear. There certainly shouldn't be any pride. (laughs) Because no matter how successful and how much you've achieved in life, where did you start and how did you start? It was an act of grace. Yes, of course, you've worked hard and you've looked for those opportunities, but who put you where you were in the first place? A person receives only that which is given them from heaven. The dead cat principle, if you live by that, then what you start to realize is that, guys, whatever gets placed in our hands, we never had control over in, in, in the first place, so why the heck do we try and control it? You hearing me? so much agendas and cajoling and working and smarts and all the rest of it when all of this has come from God in the first place. So, here's our principle. If a person can receive only that which is given them from heaven, then why don't we just try and live open-handedly? Live open-handedly. And I think you've already learned the lessons for this, by the way. Um, We had this really interesting thing happen over the past couple of years. I'm not sure if it happened to you as well. It was called a pandemic. And um, I think what the pandemic uh, showed most of us is is this. I'm I'm wondering for you, was there an experience for you in the pandemic that actually showed you that what you were clinging to was inherently fragile in the first place? I think for us in the pandemic, there were moments where we realized that we might cling to these things, but we are so powerless to do anything with it. Some of you lost jobs. Some of you lost 20% of your income. 
Some of you lost friends and family in the process because you didn't sit on the right side of the equation around what a vaccine meant. Like a lot of us went through a turmoil where we just realized that the things that we cling to and hold dear are inherently fragile, right? So I'm, I'm already preaching to the converted, right? You already understand this principle. And I certainly, that was the case for me. I, I think the biggest thing that I learned as a leader in the pandemic is that I have absolutely no ability, I have absolutely no inkling or any power whatsoever to affect any change in your life. <laughs> that was revelation for me, by the way. <laughs> and I tell you what, I live so much easier now post the pandemic because you are your church and you are the boss of your life. And in fact, you know what my big revelation was? I hadn't worked this out as a pastor. In fact, a lot of my colleagues hadn't worked this out. I don't, well, I don't know why pastors thought that if the God of the universe can't get you to do the things that are best for your life, then what heck, what, what chance does a pastor have in making you do the things that's best for your life, right? So like I always say, I'm just the mailboy. I'm just delivering the message. You do with it what you will, right? But I learned that in the pandemic, I just got to live a little bit more open-handedly. And you tell, I tell you what, I've never felt freer. I've never felt more liberated. I've never felt more relaxed. Because a person can only receive that which is given them from heaven. And so, um, what does this mean? Certainly for the practical this morning, the pen holders. I love you. You're so encouraging. Thank you for the way that you encourage me up here. You've just, thank you. I see that pen. I see that pen. I see that pen. Uh, some of you are digital as well. That's fine. Um, um, couple of key points for you to take away this morning because I promised you it was a one-point message. <laughs> uh, here's how you live open-handed. L- you say, Lord, I, I wasn't in control of what you gave me in the first place. So, Lord, you wake up every day and you say, Lord, you know what? I'm not going to cling to what I cannot keep. I'm not going to cling to what I cannot keep. I'm not going to cling to what I cannot keep. And uh, the reason for all of that is that we see is that what you cling to eventually diminishes. A really smart guy said, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. That was Jesus in Matthew's gospel. Jesus said, what you cling to will diminish all the things that are fun, all the things that make you feel safe, all the things that make you feel like you've made it will eventually turn into a whole bunch of atoms and if it breaks down long enough over the history of time it'll eventually go back to carbon isn't that a wonderful thing to think about that's newton's third law of thermodynamics entropy (laughs) so the first thing you need to do is to find what is it that you really need to be clinging to what is it that you really need what is it that keeps you truly satisfied Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink or about your body or what you'll wear. So you could start with those big categories, food, clothing, shelter, go from there, right? (laughs) Got those basics, you're doing pretty well in life in comparison to the rest of the world. What you cling to eventually diminishes. The other one is what you cling to ultimately can distract you from God. Ever found this? That when you get so consumed with what you cling to, that your focus is on the thing that you're clinging to. And the fruit of clinging to things is fear and anxiety and worry and indignation because you can't control the things that you're trying to control because you're clinging so tight to the things that ultimately God has given you. And so when we feel like we're losing, we start to feel like it's slipping away and we get fearful. 
And so what you cling to distracts you. So what are the things that are not the most important to you (laughs) that you find yourself distracted by on a regular basis? What are the unimportant things, do an inventory, that you find yourself clinging to that are distracting you from the important things, ultimately God in the first place? And here's the tip. Um, You'll find it um, wherever your money most easily flows, wherever it just goes without thinking about, that could be something that you cling to. Um, The other one is, I love this, uh, what you find yourself justifying to yourself and to others. Yeah, but I really need this. I really do. (laughs) I won't look your way. And so here's the real nuanced way to talk about it. Here's what you need to ask yourself. If I get this thing, will it make me feel safer, stronger, bigger, better, in control? If a material thing is doing that to you, if something is doing that to you, you're a Klingon. You're a Klingon. So open-handedness reminds us where all of this has come from. Open-handedness ultimately safeguards our soul from obsessing over what is in our hands and what's there rather than who's placed it there. Open-handedness keeps us focused on ultimately the fact that what we have in our hands will diminish eventually. And so, um, do all this now. I want you to remain open-handed with me. Yes, it means you're going to have to put down your pens. They are forgiven. That's okay. I want you to look at this and I want you to, to tell yourself in your mind's eye that God intended you to live like this. And this is the better way to live. And that Jesus wants to lead you into a place of freedom when you live like this. And maybe, just maybe... If you have that posture in your life and the things that he brings into those hands that he blesses you with, not only will not diminish, but as you give that out to other people, will multiply. You'll become an investor in the kingdom. You'll become one of those big people, one of those favorite people in people's lives. You can close your hands now. It's the best way to live, open-handedness. And see, there's a cost to living closed-handed. There's a big cost. There's a practical one. I'll finish with this story. Um, There was a garage in 1976 of a group of guys that started a computer company. And uh, their names were Steve. Um, Steve Jobs and Steve Applegurus. Wozniacki, there we go, gold star. Nigel, you should have known, they're your employer. However, there was the third founder of Apple who wrote uh, the first partnership agreement. He wrote the manual for the first Apple and he even drew the Apple logo. And that man's name was Ronald Wayne. And the reason you've probably never heard of Ronald Wayne is because about three or four weeks into the formation of that company, he got the jitters and got a bit closed-handed because he'd been burnt a few times before and got closed-handed and cashed out of the business of his 10% stake in the business, and he sold it for $800 back then. Today, that stock would be worth more than $55 billion. (laughs) Please, when it comes to the things of our life and the kingdom, we should be more worried 
about closing our hands than losing the things that are in them. And as we live a life from a kingdom perspective, where we are as scary and as risky and as fearful as it feels to live a life that is open-handed, we don't know what God will do through the way that we give our lives to other people. And so the things I think Phil Collins used to say, didn't he used once to say in one of his songs, you know, something happened on the way to heaven, the great prophet Phil Collins, he said, oh, you, you can't take it with you when you go. And oh, I believe it. That's what he says. And it's true. How many times have I said to you in this place, after certainly this year, after the amount of funerals that I've done this year, I can tell you that the grand total of a person's possessions normally is reduced to five or six or seven or eight items of sentimentality in a space about this big and about that big. You can't take it where you, where, where you, where you go, when you go. So why not remain open-handed and let it flow through you? A person could only receive what is given them from heaven. And so as we wrap up this series, I would hope that uh, you would take one or some of these different habits that we've learned of either surrendering your will, uh, of, of recognizing that following God and surrendering to Him doesn't need to be dirgy or sorrowful, but an adventure to be in line with the agenda of the kingdom and the way that God is working ahead of you and to jump out of bed each and every day and say, Lord, what are you up to today? And Could I be a part of it? That's a fun way to live. Maybe some of you need to watch your heart to recognize that you've been managing perceptions with people for so long and it's exhausting and that anger and greed and jealousy are not the boss of you and that the fruit of that type of thinking is not the sort of life that leads to happiness. Or maybe some of you, like me, need to realize that we've just got to loosen our grip on the things that we cling to, the things that we think bring us safety and comfort and security, and in so doing, by faith in God, open us up to the sort of adventurous life where we're just not sure what God is going to do with us through this posture. So let me pray for you now, and maybe as all of our eyes and our heads are bowed, maybe you too, for the last time, just want to open your hands as a sign of posture before God to say, I want to try and live like this, Lord. So let's pray, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, a bunch of your children here this morning thinking about this concept it's scary we don't have the time don't have the emotional capacity we don't have the money but father i pray in this moment your holy spirit would lift us up to the reality of your abundance in our lives Take us to the examples, Father God, of the people that have trod before us and the ones that we look at and admire because they've understood this principle from the beginning of this posture of open-handedness. Holy Spirit, reveal to us the things in our lives and in our hearts that we cling to. Ultimately, the idols of our heart that are the things that we say, if we just have this, then I'm okay. Reveal that to us now in this space and this silence and in so doing, change us, Father God. Enmesh us with this mysterious principle that a quarter of a street in Crow's Nest in Sydney, that there be a bunch of people who are actively being changed by the living God in this moment. Father, I thank you for that. I pray this now in Jesus' name.
Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.